tough, and you, I mean, you hope that you can find your little niche, you can find your little little part of the part of the, the room to be able to sit in and, and you know throw your stuff out there, and, and people connect with it. For many of us, as a kid, thumbing through a comic book could transport us to other worlds, flying through the universe at the speed of light. Watching immortal enemies battling to the death. And some of us never grew out of it. Welcome to the Under the Mask podcast, where we discuss the super process behind superheroes. Not just superheroes, aliens, horror, Thrillers. If you can find it on a comics page, you can find it here. Here, you'll learn how to make comics from the initial outlines, scripts, and artwork to printing and putting the final book in a bag and board. For many years, Bill Colomb has written his book, Kinetic, and sold thousands of copies across the nation. And now we're inviting you along for an inside look to the comics process. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you're in the right place. This is the Under the Mask Podcast, and this is Bill Cologne. Under the Mask Podcast, episode 16. In this episode, me and my guests talk about a lot of things. We talk about the importance of hiring an editor for an independent comics project. We also talk about how to foster your inspiration early on in life. I'm really excited to bring this guest on today, so let's get to it. My guest today is the writer, creator, and artist of such books as Shady Lady and The Offspring, which he publishes himself through Correct Handed Comics. You can check out those books and more at www.correcthandedcomics.com. I'd like to introduce David Whalen. Uh, David, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. Hi, Bill. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, so as we always open up, uh, why don't you tell us about who you are? And your story about how you got to be here. Yeah, like uh, so many others in my position, grew up drawing, grew up reading and, and loving comic books. Uh, and wanted to, since as long as I can remember, wanted to create comic books. As I uh, got older and older and older, realized that I could draw pretty good. And I, as I continued to get older, realized that if I wanted to draw comic books, I probably should learn to write comic books also. Uh, so I'd say about 25 years ago, I came up with a concept for The Offspring. Uh, and about five years ago, really thought that I was ready uh, artistically and, and with my writing uh, to be able to actually tell the story that I wanted to tell in the way I wanted to tell it. So uh, about five years ago, started putting out uh, the books. And in the meantime, started putting out some one shots, some uh, 100 plus uh, page back novels, four issue miniseries. Uh, and actually, a little bit before I started writing and drawing The Offspring, I wrote a book. So I've uh, been trying to really keep myself busy and creative. Uh, and about five years ago, created uh, Correct Handed Comics. Uh, and I've been chugging along strong ever since. And uh, tell us a little bit about Correct Handed Comics. Yeah, um, it's just an outlet for me to be able to tell the stories that I want to tell. Um, a lot of the comic books that I do, the indie comics that I create, um, aren't really superhero-based. I feel there's a lot of that already in the industry. So uh, while some of my themes or concepts that I have in books do have some superpowers, do have some sci-fi elements, stuff like that, um, it's not really uh, flies and tights kind of stuff. 
Uh, I do have one one shot coming up here, hopefully at the end of summer. That's probably the closest thing to a bison type superhero type book that I've ever created. But for the most part, they, the characters, no code names, they stay out of costume. A lot of them don't have, and a lot of the one shots don't have powers at all. It was just a chance for me to be able to tell stories that, that I thought were interesting, that I thought uh, that I would want to read. For Correct Handed Comics, your main title is The Offspring. We're going to come back to that in a bit, but tell us about the other products you have on the market. Yeah, I have a few different kind of books out. So one of them is a 100 plus page graphic novel called The Loved Ones. I actually didn't write that one. A buddy of mine, Brian Menard from Dojo Comics, him and I got together, created a story uh, from my concept. He wrote it, uh, and some of the pages that I was getting back from him as I uh, was creating, as I was reading the script, um, he did exactly, he nailed it. He did exactly what my brain was thinking, he put it on the page, uh, which is really weird. Uh, and we really connected on a, on a writer-artist level. Uh, and it's a 100-plus page graphic novel that kind of harkens back to the classic movie monsters, uh, the black and white movie monsters, the Dracula and Wolfman and Frankenstein monster. And what it is, is a story about the children of those classic movie monsters who are abandoned by their parents, and they go and hunt them. Um, and uh, it's it's a really great, so it's got, it's got horror, it's got comedy, it's got action, it's got everything you can want, and it ends uh, in a way that I think is is um, really satisfying, but also opens it up to be able to do other stories if I want, uh, if we want. Uh, there's another book I have, my first one-shot that I came out with uh, in January called Shady Lady, uh, and it's a really different kind of book than what I've ever written before. There's no superheroes, no superpowers, anything like that. It's more based off of a film noir from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Have you ever seen anything by Alfred Hitchcock, Rear Window, or um, things like that? It, it's uh, more stuff from the TV show. It's, it really kind of is driven by that idea, that philosophy of um, having those big, big movie moments, but really wrapped in who the person is, who the main character is. And the main character is a, a female protagonist, and she has a past, and she has physical, mental scars that she is trying to do, deal with on the streets of New York City. And while she's trying to deal with her issues, she comes across other people around her that are also dealing with issues, and she does her best to be able to try to help them. And, uh, it really um, is driven by a lot of the things that I've seen in media um, and stories from uh, from social media that we've seen over the last probably two or three years, and how this this character, this leader, uh, and this troubled young lady who's trying to do the right thing, how she confronts people who are clearly making bad choices in their life. And that's a one-shot that came out in January, ready to go. Uh, and also, lastly, I have a four-issue miniseries called Evolution Udro, and probably the closest thing I have to a superhero title. It is based off the idea of the worst person you can think of in the world. Very selfish, um, doesn't care about anybody else, no drive, no ambition. And if that person was a woman who uh, ended up getting pregnant with a superpowered fetus, and how that superpowered fetus would change her, uh, and if it would at all, if it would make her feel like she had a, a more obligation to be able to, to be better, or if she needs those these abilities that she our fetus seems to have and seems to be getting her uh, if she uses it for helping for herself. Uh, and it's really that uh, nurture versus nature idea. Um, and it's lots of action, lots of adventure, lots of characterization, time travel. And I think that one ends really strong, but again, ends with the opportunity to be able to make more work out of it. And your flagship title is The Offspring, uh, not related to the band, I'm assuming. Tell oh, us a little bit about that. Yeah, I am a fan of the band. Uh, now, The Offspring is uh, my ongoing series. I just put out issue 12, and 13 is, is chugging along. Uh, and I'll probably have 13 out by the end of this month. It is based off the idea of 
Um, I really wanted, but I came with the idea about 25 years ago. Wanted to see characters that were closer to people that I knew, the problems that the people that I knew had and that I maybe had growing up uh, as a 19, 20 something year old. Uh, and I thought as, uh, with the idea of getting no fights, no fights, and it's people that I knew around me that had the struggle, this real life, with all the characters are physically, um, emotionally, mentally abused as children. Uh, if these characters were to come together, realize that they were linked, uh, not just from their past, but also like a mental, like I guess a telepathic link that they have, um, and why they have this link and how this link uh, affects them by bringing these supernatural kind of threats into their lives and into their, uh, into the school that they um, are occupied with or taking out of their, their home. It really is a chance for me to be able to tell any kind of story that I wanted. It starts off very horror thriller, uh, and has kind of shifted now into what I have planned into more of a sci-fi, uh, sci-fi thriller type thing. It's going to shift more into time travel in the next couple of uh, issues. It's going to shift back into horror when we start getting into it. So it's really a chance to be able to have characters that I want to see grow and change and adjust to these these. Threats. Um, not only their the threat of the, their own bad choices, um, but also these outside threats that seem to be affecting them and seem to be drawn to them uh, through their struggle. For the series, does it follow one big story arc, or is it more episodic, or is it you know a couple books are one story arc and then there's another story arc? Yeah, it's got a big. There's an over encompassing story arc, but you could pick up an issue and know where it's know where it's going, know know how they got there. Um, there are most issues that I have are four uh, most storylines I have are four issues. There's some that are two issues. One that I'm working on right now, which is kind of like the the big ending to season. I'm calling it season one. So issues one through 13, this last big story arc that kind of wraps up a bunch of stories, but then starts off a whole new problem for these for this, uh, this trio that is a reissue story arc. So the story arcs, uh, while they there is a big encompassing theme and story that's going to be played out over the next, I hope, 100 issues, there's, there's smaller stories in there that you can pick up and you can get just from uh, just one or two so, David, go ahead and tell us about your process for creating a comic. How do you go about doing it? Yeah, it's kind of different every single time. Uh, for The Offspring, like I said, I came up with concept about 25 years ago. And, and as I have changed and grown, the, the idea and the stories have changed and grown. And it's really just about me hearing, getting an idea in my brain and trying to make sure that I have a beginning, a middle, and an end like most stories would be. Um, I don't really worry about the beginning, the middle, and right away, if I think I have a solid concept, um, I try to come up with those big scenes that will define the character or push the plot forward, and then I'll try to come up with a, uh, hopefully, a surprising end as we go. Um, one thing I really like to do is not have endings that people would think. If, I, if I'm drawn to writing a story, and I think, how would people expect this end? I don't do, I don't end it that way. <laughs> I end in the way that I think that would kind of come out of, maybe in some cases come out of left field while still making sense of the story, or in a way where people wouldn't expect the writer to be able to take their characters uh, off in those weird or, or more challenging situations. So for me as, a, as, a, as an artist and writer, it always starts with the visuals. What am I trying to show with this story? And then it is, how can this affect the character? Why is this character making the choices that they're making? 
uh, would they make those choices? Would a common sense person, or would this character that I've uh, you know grown to give give a real personality to, would they really make that choice in the middle of all this chaos and craziness happening? And if they wouldn't, I, I make them make a choice that I think these characters are making oftentimes a bad choice, but at least that bad choice fits with their character. Uh, so really, for me, it's about not doing it the same, but trying to come up with ways maybe of a tweaking a concept or turning an idea on its head in a way that people haven't seen. So just to piggyback on that a bit, being both the writer and creator, do you write out the full script before you start, or do you just dive in and start with the artwork? Um, it depends. Usually, no. What I'll do is I'll, I'll uh, go point by point, page by page, usually. This is what I want to have happen on this page. And then I'll, I'll scribble some dialogue into the side margins uh, for uh, characters. I know that I want them to say this or say that or do this or do that. Um, and oftentimes, I'll be drawing and I'll come up with a better line or I'll come up with a, a better angle to be able to tell the story. Uh, angle uh, artistically or uh, from the writing standpoint. So I'll, uh, being the writer and the artist, it gives me a great chance to be able to adjust as I go and not really have to okay with anybody as I do it. Um, I can just kind of go, oh, that's better. And I still do that in the two pages that I have. And if I can work it out to be able to do it in the two pages that I have to be able to tell that part of the story, and then it makes sense to continue to plot forward from there. I'll do, and I think that's one of the, the best parts about kind of being a one-man band, is uh, if I come up with an idea that I think is, is better or more intriguing or, or shows the character in a more realistic light, or maybe ups the action a little bit, um, I'm able to do it right there on the spot and thumb it out and then draw the page and, and ink it, color and be done. And you said the initial inspiration for The Offspring kind of popped into your head about 25 years ago, so more than two decades. Yeah, yeah. What was the initial inspiration for it? Um, I was I moved from my family was big family. I have two brothers and three sisters, so six kids all together. My father was a, a teacher. My uh, mom was a homemaker, uh, and I grew up to also be a teacher. A few of my other brothers and sisters did also, and we moved private school uh, with uh, six kids to public school. And when I was about sixteen or seventeen. And a little younger than that, actually, probably 13 or 14, it was kind of a shock to the system to be able to have freedom that I didn't have before in a private school where they kind of heard you in. This is where you're going. Everybody goes together. We're all, we're all moving at the same time. We go to, we went to walk over to the church every Wednesday, uh, and then we had went to church every Sunday, um, and going to a public school where they kind of threw you in and said, good luck. <laughs> Hopefully you'll swim and not sing. And, and to be able to meet different kinds of people in my public school that was really only five miles away from the private school that I went to, but it opened up a whole new world for me, meeting so many different kinds of people that I didn't know before, um, and meeting people from different backgrounds that I had never been exposed to before, really gave me a, a really gave me a more broad sense of the world around me. So as I started to you know, gain friendships and do this, I, I, I would always look at people or hear a name or see somebody do something and say, that would be a fun little character thing for that, even at 14, 13, 14 years old. That would be a fun little character thing for, for one of my, in one of my books and one of my stories that I'm writing. Uh, and I just kind of would write it down a little notebook. And I'd latch onto it and flip through it a couple of years later or a couple of weeks later in some cases and say, oh yeah. So uh, a lot of the characters I have, especially in The Offspring, are based off of little things that I would see from friends. Uh, that I met in a very chaotic time in my life. Fun time, great time. I had a great time uh, when, we, when I moved over to public school. But it definitely gave me a broader sense of the world around me. And I wanted to be able to put that 
into my stories, that realism into my stories, and show things in maybe comic books that I had never seen. In the 25 years since you initially came up with the concept, since you had those first ideas written down, what do you think was the biggest change that happened just as the characters evolved, as the story evolved? Yeah, I would say the biggest thing is that um, as a 14, 15 year old, when I really started honing in on these characters, their names have never changed. Their powers have never changed since that initial thought of me drawing it in on my drawing table as a 13, 14 year old in my room. What changed was who they were for people, why they had, why they had these experiences, um, how it affected them emotionally. As I grew and changed and started seeing the world a little bit differently, realizing that the world wasn't always lollipops and apple pie, the characters started to change and grow also. And some of those really deep problems that I was seeing uh, with maybe some of my friends and some of the people around me in the world uh, started making its way into the book. So there's some there's some darker things that happen to these characters, but that was one thing I didn't want to shy away from. These are things that happen in the real world. I wanted to put them in, and I wanted to show them in a, in a realistic, yet not too, um, not too graphic way to be able to communicate what's happening to these characters, but uh, not freak people out but also show how emotionally change these characters also, how these characters are almost to the point where you can kind of think, you can feel what they're thinking in any given situation because you know their background and you know how they were treated as young children. Who are your major influences for writing and for, and for artwork? Yeah, um, you know, I think as an artist writer, you have to kind of go with some of the mainstays, like Frank Miller, uh, Jack Kirby, Sam Lee, um, let's see, uh, I would say as a growing up, one of the biggest was Dander, who was also a writer-artist. He, he did uh, Superman, The Death of Superman, along with multiple other writers. Um, but he had a few other books along the same kind of line. He created Booster Bowl, uh, who was one of my favorite characters, um, along with Blue Beetle. And uh, it, was, it was that idea that I thought, oh, this is something I could really actually write and draw comic books. I don't have to just read somebody else's script and write. You know, and draw from that script. I, I can, I can probably do it myself. Um, and that's one of the things I would say to any writer. If you write comic books, but you're struggling to find an artist, maybe pick up a pencil and try to do it yourself. If you're an artist and are struggling to find a writer, maybe tend to pick up a pencil or take some classes on writing. Try to hone your skills on your own, just or even your own growth. The drawing part is easier said than done, <laughs> but uh, but it's a good skill set to have. Being a writer, I can definitely say if you do learn art, it'll save you a lot of money. Yeah, I see it all the time. Writer looking for artists. And there's a lot of times where the writer's like, oh, let's collaborate. And the artist says, oh, how much you pay? And go, oh, I don't have any money. (laughs) It's a realistic problem for that writer. How do you create this book with no money and and try to form those communications with other writers and artists? and not quite have the money to be able to pay anybody. It's, it's really a, a big-time problem that I've seen. And, and there's been times where, I, especially when I, when I started out with a really small press book, um, where I just said, I'll just do nine pages because it'll give me a chance to be able to work in, work on my art, work from a script that somebody else wrote. Um, but as I kind of grew out of that and said, oh, you know, if you're, like the old saying goes, if you're good at something, you should never do it for free. And that's, that's on some level true. But if you're somebody just trying to break into the into the business, if you want a nine pager or a one issue uh, for for a company here and there, uh, for for as they say exposure, I know a lot of people might yell at me for that. Maybe isn't the worst thing in the world to do. 
Um, I did it. I'm sure most other artists um, in my position can, uh, 10, 15 years ago did it also. Um, and it is a good opportunity to be able to learn. I learned a lot of what not to do and what to do. And it gave me an opportunity to be able to, like I said, go from a script that's not the intimidation of Superman, Batman, Green Lantern, Spider-Man scripts that you get offline. It's characters that maybe are a little bit more obscure, so you don't feel that pressure of, I better show Superman in the best, this better be the best Superman ever ever drawn on paper, instead of, and it's uh, very topical too. Just a few days ago, it seemed there was a big uh, writers versus artists thread going on Twitter. Oh yeah, it always seems to be an us versus them scenario with people, doesn't it? And going back to that, it's tough to work for free, and it's tough to work for exposure. There's a lot of people that at the moment they that anything is mentioned, this is an unpaid gig, or it's for a back end percentage of what it's going to be. They'll say, "Oh, people die of exposure." I think the goal is you want to move out of that zone as quickly as possible. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. If you're just starting out, I wouldn't do an exposure gig uh, for an ongoing series and say we have. We have 50 issues and we want to get out in the next 10 years. I definitely wouldn't even attempt to try something like that. But if you're, like I said, a, a nine-pager, you know, if, if it's something going into an anthology, then maybe with that, you could write your own stuff. See if you can get in some of those anthology anthologies that people are putting out, uh, which happen all the time. So it's a, it really can be a stepping stone. I 100% agree that if you're good at something, don't do it free. But if you're just starting out, it's a good way to be able to hone the skill. Uh, you have the full day off, assuming you're not working at your day job. You have no distractions. What does your average day working on one of your comics look like? Um, usually, I'll get up and I will, after my kids are playing their hour of Fortnite, we'll have breakfast and we'll kind of talk about our day, uh, kind of figure out what we're doing. Um, a lot of times the kids will go outside. Okay, we're going to be outside. We're going to go walk the dog and do this. And when they scatter, that's when I go in to, uh, to do the comic book. So um, a lot of times it's it giving me a chance throughout the day to be able to work. I'm a teacher also, so it's, uh, especially with all this weird stuff going on, uh, they've done really good with say, with giving my wife my notebook in school this time to be able to do things we need to do. For comic books, I'm really lucky that both my wife and kids kind of understand that this is, this is like... Uh, it's more than just a passion. It's something I have to do. So uh, when they scatter, that's when I go in. Or if I kind of give myself a deadline and say I want, I need this book, this part of this book done by, you know, the next three in the next three days. I'll say, okay, I've got to lock myself in my room for for a couple hours to be able to get these done. And they'll go, okay, fine. We'll see you when you're out. Uh, and they know when I come out. Usually, when I come out, I'm ready to be dad again. I'm ready to be husband again. I'm ready to, you know, do my, you know, daddy do this um, and uh, play and do whatever they want to do. Um, but they're really good at giving me chances to be able to get on my on my artboard or get on the computer. Sometimes, sometimes I would move my wife. I might be on it a little bit too much in the day, but like I said, it's got to happen. <laughs> and related to that question, how do you keep yourself productive? Um, it can be difficult sometimes. It really helps when I think it is going well. Right now, I'm working on issue 13, and I, I could not be more satisfied with the way the story, the art, the characters, um, the, the bad guys are starting to form uh, even more than they already were in the first 12 issues. Really starting to show who these characters are and why they're doing what they're doing, and that definitely keeps me motivated. Uh, oftentimes, I'll have something in the background. I'll play like a um, music, or I'll, or I'll put on a, um, an old uh, superhero TV show, or listen to like Superman radio programs, or Green Hornet, or something like that in the background. It kind of give me that uh, superhero vibe kind of thing in my brain. 
Um, and a lot of times, it's just kind of watching that going, okay, you know, now, I, now I'm in the zone to be able to create these characters, to be able to draw them in a way that I that I know I'm going to be able to draw them. So it doesn't really take me much to get in the zone um, or to be um, excited about getting the next page done uh, because I, I really like what I'm doing. I really like how I'm doing it. And like I said, I, I couldn't be more happy. I do a similar thing where uh, not a radio show, but I put on music. I find I can't put on music with any lyrics to them. It has to be instrumental. Yeah, sometimes I'll put on the Superman theme song, and that's all the that I need <laughs> to, to, uh, to get it going. I'm like, all right, I'm ready to go. And I'll play, you know, the Batman from uh, from the Aegis and Burton Batman, or I'll pop on the Justice League cartoon theme song, and we go, okay, I'm ready. Let's go. I'm what have been the biggest challenges or obstacles that you've overcome in publishing The Offspring or other books that you've done? I would say being a one-man band and trying to keep myself um, moving forward and not getting too hung up on other books that I want to produce. Um, being the, the writer, the artist, the inker, the colorist, the letterer, the publisher, and trying to get the books out of many, uh, to as many eyes as I possibly can. It takes a lot of um, being very organized. Uh, you have to be very organized when, when doing it all by yourself, essentially. So I would say the two biggest things that would really test my organizational skills are the coloring process, which if anybody tells you it's easy, it is not. It is, it is such a, a uh, long and strenuous process, but once it's going well, it can really change the look of the book. Like I said, issue, this issue 12 and 13 that I put out, being my own colorist, it's, I think it's really starting to come together, which, you know, keep my own horn here. But I'm really happy with the way the books came out. Uh, and the second thing I would say is getting, just getting the word out. You know, it's not uh, me as a publisher with five other people who are all getting the word out on this book. It's uh, these books. It's just me. So I'm really counting on it. And I've gotten a lot of help and a lot of support from other indie creators and indie um, people who podcasts like stuff. And uh, people who are kind of going through what I'm going through also um, and showing that uh, love from other indie creators and, and trying to show that love in return by sharing their stuff and, and um, retweeting it and, and trying to support Kickstarters when I can and picking up other people's books at cons um, and things like that has been a real, um, a real chance to be able to uh, communicate with other creators and, and create those uh, connections with other creators that I would not have been able to do to begin with. So it's, it's been challenging but fun. And just to follow up on that, uh, what have been the biggest mistakes that you've made? Hmm, biggest mistakes I've made? Well, I'm going to twist it a little bit. Anytime I've made a mistake, I learn from it. So I, I don't really see the mistakes as I wish I hadn't done that. I see the mistakes as I know what I did wrong. And I'm gonna try to either fix it or not do that again. Um, and it's always, it's always, I, I think and hope that even if I'm doing this for the next 50 years, that every day I'm gonna learn something, that every day I'm going to improve, that every day I'm going to come up with an idea or come up with a concept that uh, is maybe not 100% new, but turning that concept on ear a little bit in a way people have never seen before. I would say the biggest mistake that I've made is not having the confidence uh, in my own abilities, right? In my own artwork. And, and in some cases, especially at the very beginning, slowing down the process 
um, because I was um, a little less confident than maybe I should be. And you know, just what you said there, I think that's a great mindset to have. And that's a mindset that I really try to emphasize. Uh, in fact, the last guest I was chatting with, he had mentioned some mistakes that he brought up and how a crowdfunding campaign didn't fund. He thought it was embarrassing, uh, but he learned a lot of lessons from doing it. So I was like, hey, well, it's not so much, you know, embarrassing as it's just, hey, you learn these lessons and you'll be better around the next time around. Yeah, and it's just uh, doing that. Yeah, doing that and staying positive. And like I always say, if every day you learn one thing new at the end of the year, that's 365 new things that you know. Exactly. And just getting better incrementally is better and easier than trying to start out, say, start, you want to learn art, starting out with no knowledge of art and drawing stick figures to trying to become Michelangelo overnight. You're listening to the Under the Mask podcast with Bill Colomb. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Imagine you're developing superpowers, but your city already has a hero. That hero's kind of a jerk, he doesn't really care, and you think you can do a better job. Thank you for listening to the Under the Mask podcast. I'm your host, Bill Colomb, and when I'm not hosting this podcast, I'm also the writer of my very own superhero comic, Kinetic. Kinetic is an action-packed coming-of-age story with great art and, if I don't say so myself, a great story. But don't take my word for it. Go check Kinetic out free. All you have to do is go to ycomics.net slash free. That's ycomics.net slash free. Okay, well, we've talked about your challenges, your obstacles, and your biggest mistakes, but let's flip the script. What's been the best moment that you've had so far as a comic creator? Um, the best, there's been a lot. You know, any artist that sits down, any writer that sits down and, and says, um, seeing a page after it's done and going, that's exactly what I wanted to have on the page. That is, that is communicating the story exactly. And as the writer and the artist, it's a little easier for me. But as a, uh, as a, as an artist that has drawn stuff for other writers and then emailing me back and saying, this page is exactly what I had in my mind, which is almost impossible. <laughs> to be able to have a, a, a writer come back and say, uh, David, this is, this is pretty darn close to what I had in my brain. It, it, it looks great. And uh, for me, it's about hearing from the editor or hearing from the writer that without any dialogue, they can tell what's going on in the script. Because for me, as a, as the artist, I want to be able to make sure that even if, if it's a four-year-old kid picking up a book, maybe can't quite read yet, can they tell what's going on? Can they tell what's happening in the story without um, having to read the dialogue at all? Obviously, the dialogue would be important to be able to read the story. Um, but to be able to have those visuals there and have somebody who hasn't read it know what's going on from page to page um, and having editors and other writers um, tell me, um, that they can do that on my work. It's one of the things that really, again, really motivates and keeps me going. Um, I would say for me as the writer and artist of The Offspring and other, other books, that for me, it's, it's always best. I'm, I know that I'm not going to make a billion dollars um, off of this as of right now, maybe in the future. But for me, it's really about getting each book completed and telling the story that I want to tell and having it be a successful Telling of the story, have it be what I wanted to have on the page. Because in the end, the million dollars that I make by make off these books is not as important to me as 
50 years from now, my grandkids seeing these books and my kids saying, Grandpa did that. And then going, what? Really? My grandpa did that? Uh, for me, it's the long game of leaving something of me um, for my family and friends to be able to, to know that I did something. And that's, that's playing the long game. I hope I have, you know, 60 more years left. But, <laughs> uh, but for me, it's, it's about creating, about leaving something. A million dollars would also be nice too, but, <laughs> but you know, what pay you can. You're the writer and artist. Do you use editors? I do. Um, I have a great editor. Uh, his name is uh, Patrick Daniel. He is a uh, editor for a few other small press books. One of them, actually, I, I did. We are talking about those nine-page uh, uh, inserts. Uh, one of them I did uh, probably about five or six years back. And we just happened to cross paths um, through Facebook and through the comic book uh, world and Facebook. And, uh, and I said, hey, I, I need an editor. Starting from issue four, uh, my editor had left uh, to do other projects. And I no problem at all. Um, but I was looking for another editor, and he just happened to be one of the people that I had seen. And I said, hey, do you, you want to help me with this book? And I gave him issues one through four, and he said, yes, let's, I want to be a part of this. Let's do this. Uh, and he has been a great driving force to be able to not only keep the story on path, um, but also to be able to find those little things, not just with words. I'm an artist. Even though I'm a writer, I'm not the greatest fellow in the world. Uh, and sometimes it, it kind of falls to the cracks. So having an editor there obviously helps with making sure all the eyes and the feet are in the right place. Um, but also looking in the background, because I try to put little Easter eggs in. I try to put little things that people can see and go five issues from now go, oh, he put that in the background five issues ago. Or this was... The, the character was reading this that happened, something happened from that 10 issues from now. And he's been really instrumental in, in helping you be able to hone those Easter eggs and go, hey, wait a minute, you put this here in issue 5, but you put this here in issue 10, can we flip it? Or can we do something that makes it a little more chronologically sound? And it's, it's been a great experience working with them. I'm, I'm so happy he's part of my I feel a lot of independent comics kind of overlook the editorial role. Um, you said he helps out with copywriting. He helps out with a lot of the, uh, you know, small things like typos. Uh, but what what else does he help out with? You know, uh, as far as the typos go, you know, I think reading comic books, both of us probably been reading comic books for 40 years now. Those are going to fall to the cracks every once in a while. Even, you know, you see a commercial on TV and you're like, wait a minute, they misspelled that word on a commercial. It's TV, you know? Um, for me, really, the biggest thing that he gives me, yeah, that I get out of it as the writer creator, another set of eyes to make sure that it makes sense. And for me, that's the bottom line for, for an editor, for me, especially doing it the way that I do it. I want to make sure that it makes sense. So when we got together and he started editing the books, he said, I said, I really just need to, you know, check copy, check, make sure everything's spelled right, make sure, you know, if, if the dialogue maybe doesn't ring true to how people would actually say it, you know, uh, let me know. But really, the, the big overall umbrella is, does it make sense? Is it entertaining? Did you want to see what happened on the next day? And um, usually, the answer is yes. And if it's not yes, I fix it. No, that's good to know. Yeah, that's one thing I just wanted to touch on because, yeah, I've seen so many independent comics that it's evident they have no editor. But then I've seen good ones that they don't have an editor. And I know myself, I hired an editor, but his role was very minimal. Uh, like you said, for me, it was, hey, I need someone else to look this over. It's tough. And you, I mean, you hope that you can find your little niche 
you find your little little part of the part of the, the room to be able to sit in and, and you know throw your stuff out there and, and people connect with it. it. But it's it's an everyday process. I, I, I thought these would struggle, but it's not really a struggle. It's fun. It's it's a you know lifelong dream to be able to put together books like this. It's a process that can sometimes be daunting, but usually. Um, if you if you go through the right mindset, like we were talking about earlier, it can be, it can be entertaining and fun. Also. Starting out, what was the best advice you received? Um, I would say in high school, I was probably a freshman in high school, um, and it was from one of my art teachers, Miss Peterson. I'm a teacher, uh, It was Miss Peterson who I knew then because I'd been making my own comic books and, and you know had my own sketchbooks and, and all this stuff. I knew that I wanted to write and draw comic books. She said, as a, as a freshman in high school. Then you need to um, do figure drawing class, and I said, "Okay, how do I do that?" And she got together with my parents and said, and said, told them what what um, was probably the best avenue for me to be able to take to do this. And my parents kind of looked at each other and, she, and they said, "You mean new figure drawing classes where people like stand in front of them without clothes on and he draws them?" And she said, "Yes." And they looked at me and said, "Is that something you want to do?" And I said, "Yes." And I said, "Let's do it." Um, so I was so lucky to be able to have parents that knew that I didn't just want to look at naked people. I was doing it for the ultimate goal of being better at something that they didn't they didn't really understand. They didn't either have had any really artistic ability, uh, visual artistic ability. Um, but they knew that it was something that I wanted to do. So that teacher really did set me on a path to be able to get where we where I am now. Because what 14-year-old... 15 year old is able to do or has parents that let him do figure drawing class at such a young age. Uh, and I, quite honestly, from the time I was 15 to now 45 years old, I still um, take figure drawing classes to hone my skills to be able to practice, be able to warm up, be able to uh, make sure that I'm still seeing the world the way the world actually is. <laughs> Um, and it's it's something that's starting on a path to be able to get to be where I am today. So I'm very thankful for that art teacher to be able to recognize not only my ability, but what I needed to do to get to the next step. And any artist, whether it's comic books or anything, uh, figure drawing, especially comic books, there's some people and some drawing, some drawing, some people involved. Uh, figure drawing classes is in us. And of course, the fringe benefit of being a 14, 15 year old boy getting to look at naked women. Uh, if you saw some of these models, I don't know if you call it <laughs> Do you have any regrets in your comic career? If you want to talk about one regret, in my 20s, while I still drew, while I still was drawing comic books and trying to create, it wasn't, it wasn't something that was on the front of my mind. It was always in the back of my mind. So if I had a chance to be able to go back in my 20s and do, do it a little bit differently, I would definitely stop moving around and create a little bit more than I did. Um, it got me to where I, you know, all those decisions got me to where I am right now, um, which I'm very happy about. And you do it when you're ready to do it. Um, but I definitely would have probably sat down on my drawing table a little bit more than maybe going to concerts or hanging out with others. Hey, well, David, thank you so much for coming on and talking shop with me. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on. Now, we can find your books at www.correcthandedcomics.com. Uh, where else can we find you online? You can find me on Facebook at Correct Handed Comics. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Handed Correct. I had the flipper for Twitter there, so at Handed Correct. And uh, The Offspring actually has their own Twitter handle, at The Offspring 00. You can also find me on Instagram, 
david.whalen.1614. Uh, and in most of those places, I try to put different kinds of things, different behind-the-scenes stuff, some are covered, some are processed, some is day-to-day things that I have to do to be able to produce books together. Sometimes it's just me and my kid and all. In each of those uh, social media outlets, there's different things to be able to see. And on my website, there's links to every single book I've ever created from my four-issue miniseries to the, my 100, my four-issue miniseries to my 100-plus uh, page graphic novel to my uh, uh, novel that I created. I wrote a Western um, that is up there called The Last Ride of Tiber uh, that I'm super, super proud of. I think it's a, a fun, funny, exciting book. Um, and you can find links to that on www.cracktrainingcomics.com uh, David, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. If you know a creator that makes comic books or any other media and think they'd be a good fit for the show, drop us a line at underthemaskshow at gmail.com. You've been listening to the Under the Mask podcast with Bill Colomb. Welcome to the family. If you're a fan of comic books, a total process junkie, or just looking for more insight into launching your own book, you've found the right podcast for you. Thanks for listening, and make sure to like or leave a review, and we'd appreciate it if you'd tell a friend or two. To reach out, visit us at underthemaskpodcast.com. This has been a presentation of Why Comics. Till next time, this is the Under the Mask Podcast, signing off.